Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. The new year is a great time to reset your relationship with your emotions. We all experience things that don't feel so good. Stuff like sadness, anxiety, burnout, and guilt. But in 2022, I want to help you look at these emotions in a new light. I'm Dr. Laurie Santos. In the new season of my podcast, The Happiness Lab, I'll show you that the path to happiness actually involves embracing your negative emotions and listening to the important things they have to say. So listen to The Happiness Lab in the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hollywood continues to draw lines in the sand over COVID vaccinations. Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special is getting a lot of flack because of his comments on the queer and trans communities. And we're speaking with BuzzFeed's Nina Mohan about the viral story, Who is the Bad Art Friend? It's October 7th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Stephen LeConte. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. So to kick things off, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Black Panther star Letitia Wright has allegedly been spreading anti-COVID vaccine propaganda on the set of the film's sequel. This comes nearly a year after she tweeted an anti-vax video before ultimately deleting her account. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she had then had had like a backhanded apology kind of situation happening, but she did take it down. So this just frustrates me because it's like, oh, there was no learning that happened there. She is definitely still shouting anti-vax rhetoric. I know it honestly does beg the question for me of like whether unvaccinated people should be even allowed on film sets because it puts the crew at risk. Well, and that that's the problem though. But also, crew some crew isn't isn't getting vaccinated as well. But well, but true. that yeah. that is what a problem is is that there is no current like mandate for all of film and TV for people to be vaccinated. So now we've got a lot of people on set who like do want to be vaccinated and do want to do their jobs, but do not feel safe because other people on set aren't doing that same thing. I mean, we've heard like, you know, Jennifer Aniston, she has been like, I'm cutting friendships because of it. And then you've got people like Anthony Anderson from Blackish who's saying like, I'm not going to force anyone to do anything they don't want to do. So it's like, there's no mandate and everyone has opinions. Yeah. And I mean, like the anti-vax rhetoric is just really harmful to people who want to feel safe on set, which is a workplace, by the way. You know, uh, Breaking Bad and Mandalorian star Giancarlo Esposito has said some strong words about those who won't get vaccinated. I'm just going to read this. He said, go to a small island and sequester yourself. Otherwise, you're saying fuck you to all other human beings. We all have to do it if we want to live. I don't understand how people don't vaccinate. 
For me, I've lost dear friends, so I know it's real. Not only in Europe, but in America, friends who were completely healthy and uncompromised. The vaccine is the answer. I'm not downing anyone who doesn't want to vaccinate. Don't work. Go write it out somewhere where you're not going to compromise anyone else if you get it. And I think that's it. Like what you were saying, too, about a workplace. It's like, okay, you don't want to get vaccinated? Then don't show up to this specific workplace. Right. You know, I think a lot of the anti-vax thing is like my body, my choice. But the reality is, is that when you surround yourself with other people, it's not just your body. It's other people's bodies. So if you're going to use that language, which is, by the way, disgusting because that is about uh pro-choice, which is a totally different issue. But if you really believe that it is strictly your business, whether or not you get vaccinated, then you better as fuck stay home and not see anyone else. All right. So in other news, Dave Chappelle's new Netflix stand-up special, The Closer, is being criticized for its anti-LGBTQ and anti-trans sentiments. In the special, Dave declares his support for J.K. Rowling's tweets about the trans community, proclaiming himself, quote, team turf, and saying that, quote, gender is a fact, and, quote, every human being on Earth had to pass through the legs of a woman to be on Earth. He goes on to say that trans women's genitalia are, quote, not quite what it is. And yeah, I said, quote, so many times out of that because those are his words and no one else's, my God. So since the release of the special, GLAAD posted a statement condemning the special and the National Black Justice Coalition's executive director called for it to be removed from Netflix. Others, meanwhile, have taken issue with his decision to make these comments and then close the show by talking about his friendship with fellow comedian and trans woman Daphne Dorman. I mean, to me, it's just such a disappointment because in the past, Dave Chappelle's stand-up has, I think, been a really like incisive and sharp look at the world. And I think in the past decade, like he's done this pivot that he's no longer really curious about other people. He's more angry. And so many of his jokes just sound really hateful. And I guess he thinks they're defensible uh, on the grounds that they're you know, jokes, but um, he, he doesn't really see himself as being accountable to any larger impact that his words will have um, on his fans and the way that they may behave in the world after hearing him spew such hate. And I, I think it's a real missed opportunity. It is. And it just like is so confusing because there's no way he doesn't see what's going on in the world. And when people like baby or are saying these like anti-trans, anti-queer things and is you see the reaction to that and it's like, wow, you're really doubling down to keep on going with that. And then also, and then also it is, it's like we do run into a lot of comedians who think it's okay just because it's like a quote unquote joke. And I'm just like, write, write funny jokes instead. Yeah. And I think a really important part of telling a funny joke is punching up, not down. And if you ever find yourselves punching at like a widely persecuted minority group, I, I can guarantee you, you're not punching up. You're punching down. He says at the end of the special that he's not going to tell any more jokes about the LGBTQ community anymore, which I guess he's saying as a, a like a, you know, I've been bullied by this community so much. So I'm just gonna, but it has this energy of like taking his ball and going home. You know what I mean? Like instead of actually engaging with the issues and, and learning from the anger that his jokes have generated, he's just decided that like, you know, fuck you. I'm not, I'm not going to engage with this community at all anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a bummer. It is. Okay. Well, what is not a bummer 
is the article we're about to talk about, which uh, Stephen, we both absolutely love. It's absolutely it's a wild ride from start to finish. So, in case you missed it, a couple of days ago, New York Times Magazine published a story called "Who Is the Bad Art Friend," which almost instantly became a trending topic on Twitter. It sparked a huge debate over what the story was about and who the real villain is. And today, we're joined by BuzzFeed's Nina Mohan to help us navigate our way through this epic tale of pettiness. Hi, Nina. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And, you know, Stephen and I are so excited because Nina loves mess, and so do we. (laughs) (laughs) So much. And this is a really messy one. Bad art friend is mess. That is what it is. Okay, so if you guys haven't listened to it yet, this story is absolutely wild. So much drama, such complex characters, so many twists. You know, I felt like I was reading a Greek tragedy. Can you just give a brief recap of the story for anyone who hasn't read it yet? And I know brief is kind of hard. This is a long (laughs) read, guys, but it is worth it. (laughs) It's so funny. I tried to recount this to my husband the same night and I ended up like before bed. It's just like a quick little bedtime story and it took me like half an hour. (laughs) So I don't know how brief I can be, but um, I, okay. So basically there's this woman named Dawn and she uh, decided to donate her kidney to, I'm sorry, I can't remember the term, but basically to an unspecified recipient. It was uh, like a donor chain. So yes. uh, eventually someone would receive it in like a, a chain formation. Yes, but she wasn't giving it to anybody that she knew, which is a big selfless thing to do. And as part of this for her, she decided to create a Facebook group of some friends and family to seemingly share things about this journey, I guess. And then she noticed that certain people from some writer circles she used to run in on the East Coast were not interacting with her posts or commenting on them or liking them. And so she emailed some of them personally and directly, including one writer named Sonia, who was somewhat successful and has been published, unlike Dawn. And uh, they exchanged a few brief messages. And then sometime later, Dawn was tagged in a post about one of Sonia's short stories that happened to feature a white woman kidney donor. And Dawn started to think that maybe this story was inspired by her and was about her. And they exchanged some more messages and it got a little bit tense. And it basically devolved into uh, Dawn seemingly suing Sonia or taking some legal action against her and also Sonia taking some legal action against Dawn because it was also revealed that an earlier draft of Sonia's story had featured a direct quote from one of Dawn's Facebook posts that included the letter that she sent to the eventual recipient. So it resulted in Sonia's story getting pulled from the Common Reads distribution process and it's been a whole mess. It just, it's, it's mess. The end is mess. I'm so sorry. That wasn't even brief. I'm so no, sorry. No, <laughs> but that was, it, that, was a, that was like impressive for like how not brief this story is, but it's like, so what? Uh, and I feel like it, there's so many parts. It's like, okay, we got to talk about Dom. We got to talk about Sonia, but basically I do want to like get the gist of that Facebook thing. It's like, if I donated a kidney and Nina didn't like applaud me for doing that. And then I called up Nina and I was like, Nina, why didn't you applaud me for donating a kidney? <laughs> Which is so wild, I cannot even comprehend that. It's also, the thing is, like, you and I are friends. We have each other's phone numbers. Don, and Son- Don didn't have Sonia's phone number at the time, allegedly, according to one of Sonia's 
other writer friend, Celeste Ng on Twitter. So it's like even wilder than that. It's like so far removed. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely true. So, you know, Don Dorlin is an extremely flawed protagonist to say the least. And I would say protagonist in her brain and maybe some other people. <laughs> she has knows? main character syndrome. <laughs> she does, she does. <laughs> in, so, in the most literal way possible. <laughs> she's constantly seeking external validation for her charitable acts. And the subject of white saviorism plays very heavily throughout this story. I mean, would you attribute Dawn's actions at the beginning to white saviorism, or is she just being annoyingly performative? I mean, how do you even parse the two? Uh, it's a tough thing because I, I don't necessarily think that her actions in the very beginning are white saviorism. I do think they're more on the side of annoyingly performative in the beginning, but I do think her behavior is very specifically like white lady <laughs> because <laughs> um, I, I think like it's something that uh, some people of color have gone through where you have a white acquaintance and they get a little overly familiar with you or think that you're better friends than you are. And like I said, you know, Dawn didn't even have her phone number, but expected some amount of like interaction with her random kidney Facebook group, which I think, again, is just like very white behavior, but in the beginning, at least not quite white saviorism. I actually think that's what makes Sonia's story a little bit different is in that she does kind of cover that white savior angle in a way that like wasn't really present in Don's Facebook posts. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about Sonia here because in the, in the article, first we meet Don and then we go deep on Sonia. So Sonia is another writer who Don met in Boston in a writer's group a few years earlier, but Sonia then became a little more successful than Don. It's a classic Mozart and Salieri situation, if you will. Now, I think it's safe to say that both women in this story make mistakes. Even though I land on being Team Sonia in the end, I don't think Sonia is a perfect character at this. What would you say Sonia's biggest mistakes in this whole experience were? I would say that Sonia's biggest mistake was the direct rip of Dawn's letter to the recipient. And I understand it as an inspiration point and even in like an early draft, let's say, including that. But like, it was available publicly. She had read it somewhere and that's how Dawn found out. There was an audio recording of it online. And I think that was like her biggest mistake and like not coming out completely unscathed from this. Because I think as a writer, you can take inspiration from anything and everything in life. But pulling that direct quote is kind of her Achilles heel in this story. Now, a lot of people I think are also going to say that, you know, her wrong behavior was having a mean group chat about <laughs> Don's Facebook group. But I'm going to disagree and say that we are all capable of gossip. We've all sent a slightly rude text making fun of somebody. And I think that that is very human behavior. It is very human behavior. And she was doing something like quite performative and atrocious. And you can, if you're not going to call them out publicly, you can call them out privately. That's okay. Exactly. And the thing is, I don't even think that these people were necessarily like talking about Dawn prior to any of this. I think it was right. once she started emailing people asking why they weren't interacting with her posts is when the private conversations probably started, which is honestly what I would do too, because that behavior is unhinged. <laughs> 
You know, it's interesting what you said earlier about how the fact that Sonya's story brings in this whole white savior element might actually be a thing that distinguishes Sonya's story from Dawn's real life story. And, you know, I agree with you that her Achilles heel uh, really came down to being the fact that she lifted that donor letter so closely, almost word for word in some drafts. But Sonia has this quote in the article when she's being interviewed by the New York Times reporter. She says, you know, Don shouldn't want this story to be about her. And, and I was wondering that same thing. I was like, why is Dawn trying to align herself so closely with a protagonist who is a very clearly not a good person? Do you think that is pure narcissism? Do you think Dawn didn't understand the point of the story? What do you think that is? I'm so sure Dawn doesn't understand the point of the story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I also think that initially Dawn was just intrigued by the fact that Sonia had written something that was inspired by her. And then when she realized that it painted the character inspired by her in a pretty negative, like white savory light, that's when she started lashing out and trying to take legal action because here she was this person who had created a private Facebook group to basically receive praise for her a very selfless act. But in the end, she didn't get the response that she wanted. And I think that that's where probably a lot of her anger stems from, you know, she's like done a pretty selfless thing, but in this case, she's very unself-aware. All right. We'll be right back with Nina Mohan to talk more about the bad art friend. SheFit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm excited to be back with a new season of You and Me Both. You know, when we started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. But I am a firm believer we're stronger together. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. Listen to You and Me Both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver, and on my podcast, Mini Questions, I ask trailblazers across different disciplines the same seven questions. Questions about the inflection points in their life, what they like least about themselves, and what relationship has defined love for them. This season, I'm coming back with new trailblazers like Blondie vocalist Debbie Harry, journalist and television host Jeremy Clarkson, editor-in-chief of InStyle magazine Laura Brown, and creative juggernaut Goldie. Join me as we continue this exploration on season two of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Podcasts. 
Welcome back. We're talking with BuzzFeed's Nina Mohan about the viral New York Times Magazine article, Who is the Bad Art Friend? You know, for me, Dawn became irredeemable when she started publicly attacking Sonia in an attempt to smear her. You know, she could have privately dealt with Sonia through lawyers or not lawyers, honestly. But instead, she decided to try and ruin Sonia's career. You know, and I think that's where it went from performative to that kind of like white lady situation where all of a sudden she was like, she wants the world to know like, well, this was inspired by me. This is from me. Your story couldn't have happened without me. And so it's like, do you feel like this was simply a desperate person who was lashing out? Or is there like something more nefarious at play here? I think it's actually like a little bit of both because I think when Dawn did not get the response that she wanted and acknowledgement that like, you know, she is the center of the story or whatever, and probably realized that she's not painted in a very great light. That's when the desperation started. And what comes into play that's more nefarious, I think, is the fact that here you have a white woman trying to now take down the career of an Asian American woman because she feels hurt and feels wronged. And I think we've had a lot of situations in the past going, stemming back probably centuries of white women weaponizing their tears to get what they want or to get people in trouble. And I think that had Don received the praise or acknowledgement that she wanted, maybe this wouldn't have happened. But also I think that her even pursuing these avenues and pitching this story to the New York Times, which she has been doing allegedly for three years, is what kind of sets her apart into that like nefarious territory. Like she wants you all to know that she was wronged, but she's coming out of this like looking worse. Imagine donating a kidney and coming out looking like the bad guy. It's truly a feat. (laughs) She managed to do it. But what I do love about this, and I know um, uh, this is Steven's thing, how he loves this story so much because they are perfect foils for each other. They really are. These these two women were like engineered in a lab to destroy each other. You know what I mean? And And I'm here to witness that fight. (laughs) Oh, me too. And so are a lot of people because this story has sparked a massive debate on Twitter. People are arguing about who is in the wrong, who is in the right, how much race plays into this. I wonder, how do you think these binary Twitter debates affect the overall discourse when it comes to a story as complex as this? Like, I'll admit, I've used the phrase Team Sonia several times over the past few days, but I wonder, does that sort of flatten the more complicated truth of this really messy situation? Well, I don't want to be rude to you, Stephen, but (laughs) I think it does a little bit. I think it's fun to engage in this discourse and like sort of take a side that I think that's kind of what the piece wants you to do. But ultimately, I think the best conversations that you're going to find about it are the ones that like get a little more nuanced. I think you're going to find those kind of responses less in some tweets and more in like your complicated group chats where you can sort of express everything that you need to express. I do think you're right, though. I think sometimes with Twitter, because it's so ephemeral and so of the moment, you're sort of push to take these like knee jerk reactions and kind of go extreme in one direction and pick a binary side of an issue that's like not binary, I would say. It's very complex and spherical and you can occupy multiple areas within it. You know, Nina, you're telling me to take it to my group chat, but after this story came out, I now have a very, very deep-seated fear that my group chat is going to get subpoenaed someday. (laughs) 
and appear in the New York Times. So there's just no safe place to dis- uh, dissect this story, I guess. <laughs> but you know what, Nina? I like what you're saying because I'm very much of, of the mindset that, you know, it's very nuanced. There's many things at play here. But it is interesting because in the story, I think it's compared to the dress situation where it was like, do you see it as the dress as blue and black or do you see it as white and gold were those the two I don't even remember the four colors that they were but point being it's like I get what the what the comparison is trying to say of like you see it differently you can see this story differently but I think it's like you shouldn't be looking at it from just two sides it's like there are many other angles to look at these dresses at yes there's there's a whole onion of layers to this entire (laughs) story and I really don't think that you can sort of divide it into two issues or two sides even so you know The story covered so many different subjects and themes that we've talked about, white saviorism and white privilege, racial dynamics, the legalities of plagiarism, the machinations of the literary industry, people shit-talking on a group chat. I mean, it's such a sprawling story with so much complexity, but what did you ultimately feel like the story was about? God, that's such a complicated question, (laughs) but I, I really think it's a story about somebody who thought they were better friends with somebody than they actually were and feeling betrayed. I think that it's a story of betrayal, ultimately. <laughs> I think, or feelings of betrayal. Like I yeah, think yes. Dawn feels betrayed by Sonia's action, whether she's right or wrong about that, she's wrong. But um, when, <laughs> however she wants to feel about that, it's an exploration of that betrayal. And I think it's also an exploration of betrayal on Sonia's side too, because here she did something that she thought was above board and she suffered some professional consequences for it. Like getting her story pulled and getting a response from that. I think it was like a, the festival director or whoever, who was like, we have grounds to sue you by. Um, (laughs) I think Sonia also ultimately feels betrayed by Dawn's action. So I'm going to go with betrayal. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) Bad. That's that's what the the show is gonna be called. Bad art, friend. Betrayal. <laughs> I would love to see it. Yes. Well, you know Ryan Murphy is on it, <laughs> and Reese will star. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Nina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. I'm always here to discuss mess. Let me know when the next mess happens, and I'll be <laughs> right here. We will. All right, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, if you're a comedian, punch up, not down. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed coming to you daily. Have you ever felt depressed about work only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant. And I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy. So that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could at Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. I'm Paris Hilton, and this is Trapped in Treatment, a weekly podcast of shocking survivor experiences and stories from an industry plagued by controversy. With my hosts, Caroline Cole and Rebecca Mellinger, we will uncover the truth of one teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. 
Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thursday, February 10th. Kick off Super Bowl 56 weekend with host Keegan-Michael Key. Find out who will be named the AP Most Valuable Player. Delivered by Pizza Hut, the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year. Presented by Nationwide and more. Plus, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2022 delivered with Uber Eats will be revealed. NFL Honors, presented by Invisalign. Thursday, February 10th at 9 Eastern, 8 Central on ABC, NFL Network, and ESPN+. All times live except in the Pacific Time Zone.